you're a guest with us, we're really glad that you're here this morning. Like Matt said, uh, that Connect card that's in the seat in front of you, that means a lot to us. That's not just a formality that we do. We really do uh, pray for your prayer requests. We try to do follow-up as quickly as we can to get you connected around here um, as a church. And if you didn't get a chance to fill that out, you can drop it at the Welcome Center right out in the lobby. And when you're out there, you can pick up a gift. If you're a guest, uh, we'd love the, for you to have that. And um, all the ladies, we would invite you to stop at the Welcome Center and pick up an invite uh, to a women's retreat that will actually be taking place here on our campus um, uh, here coming up soon. So you can stop at the Welcome Center in the lobby. You can ask all the questions. You can get your invite. Uh, and there's going to be somebody there ready to uh, get you connected to that as well. Hey, uh, two years ago, we started uh, something as a church called the REACH Initiative. And the REACH Initiative, uh, one facet of it was financial. And we raised funds to renovate our existing building and add on to it. And from day one, we said, and with as much sincerity uh, from the bottom of our hearts, we just said, hey, this can't just be for us. Um, this building, it needed updating. We needed a little bit more space, but this has got to be for everybody else. And so each time that it has been for others, it's always been exciting to be able to come up and say, hey, your generosity made an impact. And this past week was no different. Uh, we had a conference that took place here on our campus uh, with a missions organization called AgriStewards. It was actually started um, in conjunction with one of the farms represented in our church body. Okay? Um, their goal is to partner with other people in other countries, teach them agriculture and how to share the gospel, bringing the two together. It's really farming from a Christian worldview. Uh, here's what God says about the land. Here's what God calls us to do. And they teach people that while also taking advantage of an opportunity to share the gospel. Well, we hosted them here um, on our campus. And uh, I love that there were over 30 different countries represented in the room each day. Like, that's pretty incredible. Think about the impact. Now, in 30 different countries, there's going to be people learning not just agriculture, but agriculture with the gospel. Like, that's, that's impressive. The ripple effect of your generosity is a very real thing. And so from me to you, from our leadership to you as a church, thank you. Uh, because it really does matter. You might not always feel that way. You might feel that when you have an offering and you give, you give to this REACH initiative, you just, man, I'm not quite sure what God's going to do with this. Well, uh, we're getting more and more sure of what he's doing with it. And, and it's making an impact. And so thank you for those that uh, have been a part of it and continue to give to the REACH initiative. Thank you very much for that. Hey, we're in a series in First and Second Timothy. I want to go ahead and pray, and we're going to jump right in. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together as the church. God, we, uh, my prayer is that we as a people, when we scatter from this place, after gathering together, we would live missional, very intentionally trying to share our faith through our lives, through our hospitality and opening our homes, and through proclaiming with words the truth of the good news of Jesus. And so that when we gather like this, we're, we're tired. And we need to experience uh, a refreshing time with our Heavenly Father. My prayer this morning is that that's exactly what would happen. That as we begin to talk about uh, this passage, that you would impact our hearts and just honestly, God, change the way we look at prayer. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as I was preparing um, for this uh, looked back on the series and kind of see this flow that's taking place in First and Second Timothy. You got Paul, um, this guy who is planting churches. He has a young protege named Timothy, and they have a really great relationship. Uh, last week, I actually put up a picture of Mr. Miyagi and Daniel LaRusso. If you weren't here, you missed out. Karate kid, right? 
Uh, and somebody said, hey, that's like Paul and Timothy. And I thought, I didn't even say that. So I get to say it this week. Mr. Miyagi, Paul, uh, and Daniel Russo, Timothy. <laughs> and they have this great relationship. And uh, Paul uh, develops a big heart for a city called Ephesus. And he sends Timothy there to pastor this church and to uh, really raise up leaders and protect the flock in this place. So when the church would gather, they would be equipped to then scatter and live on purpose. And Timothy is overwhelmed by what's going on around him. And so Paul writes these letters, First and Second Timothy. And in these letters, he essentially says, hey, Timothy, let me remind you, this is us. This is who we are as a church. This is what it looks like to be a faithful church, to live intentionally. This, this is us. And as he writes this, we got to pick up in chapter 1, he says, let's start with the foundation, and it's truth. It's God's truth. It's the first thing we looked at in this series. Everything else is built upon truth. And without that, none of the other stuff we're going to talk about can really hold firm because you need the solid foundation. And so we started with guarding the truth. We then moved into, because of this truth and our encounter with this truth, our perspective on life changes. We view things differently than the rest of the world. We are called as a group of people to keep the proper perspective. So we guard the truth, we keep the proper perspective, and today Paul's going to walk us into another area of uh, importance in the church. As a matter of fact, as he starts chapter 2, all the way through chapter 3, he's very specific about church life, what takes place in the life of of a church. And so today we're going to learn about one really important piece. As I was studying to get ready for it, though, I encountered some really uh, interesting stories, very true stories. This actually took place. So believe it or not, in Red House, West Virginia, there were two preschool kids, ages five and two, that really wanted to go to their grandfather's house, like really bad. And so they did what any five and two-year-old would do, and they stole their mom's car, and they drove it three miles down a curvy road before crashing it. No one got hurt, but they wanted to get to Grandpa's house. No kidding, not long after that, in Federal Way, Washington, two other preschool-age kids, this time ages five and three, not five and two, wanted to get to Grandma's house, and so guess what they did? They stole Mom's car. They got in the car and drove it down the road to get to their grandparents' house before T-boning another car. No one got hurt, but they wanted to get to Grandma and Grandma. And I'm thinking, I had no clue. There, there was this big rush of preschool Grand Theft Auto in our country. That's unbelievable. And then I got to thinking, like, no, wait a second. I've got kids, and my, my wife's parents, uh, they live very close to us, and so my kids get to go over there, and I don't know if there's a place on earth that they like to be more than grandma and grandpa. So they call them Nana and Papa. They love it. They would go to extremes. And so in the first service this morning, I'm telling, like, I think my kids would, like, I really think, I'm thinking, like, particularly my daughter, might steal the car. We better hide the keys. She's sitting in this part of the auditorium, my seven-year-old daughter going like this. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to steal the keys. Not only that, she then took, you know, the sermon notes and wrote her escape plan <laughs> to be able to get to Nana and Papa's house at some point during the first service. So this is, I'm keeping this forever, and uh, I'm guarding my car keys. Now look, as funny as this is, there's so much truth to it. Like so much truth to this idea that they had this insatiable appetite to get to their grandparents' home. And I'm thinking, man, that's hilarious, but at the same time, boy, from the bottom of my heart, do I wish that Christians around this world would have that same insatiable appetite to get into the presence of God. Like we view the presence of God sometimes as this 
far out there thing that we can't quite grasp. We come to church to hear sermons and we go to Bible studies to get principles and we might even go through some spiritual disciplines and, and for some reason, if you're like me, I'm like this, I lose sight of the fact that when I'm praying, I'm actually in his presence. Like he's actually there and he cares about me and he wants to talk to me and he's crazy about me and he's enjoying the time spent. If you're like me, I spend a lot of my time thinking about God like a judge. And I battle through this, to be really honest with you. And he is a judge. So that's the thing. It's not wrong. That's a part of truth. God is a wrathful judge. God cannot be around sin. And so his wrath is pointed right at sin. And then Jesus steps right in the way and absorbs it for us. And that is a wrathful judge whose wrath has been satisfied by the sacrifice of Jesus. Man, that's so true. But we can't only view God as a wrathful judge. We must also view him as a loving father. There's a tension. These two things come together. And, and you're, you're in his presence and you're like, wow, I'm blown away because I deserve your wrath. And yet you give me your love. I love the way J.I. Packer says it in his famous book, Knowing God. He says this, to be right with God, the judge is a great thing. And it is because it's true. But to be loved and cared for by God, the father is greater to have an intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father. And I'm just convinced, man, a lot of us miss out on it. We'll open our Bibles like a textbook often, instead of opening it like a love letter from a loving Father who explains all that He did for us and all that He wants to do in our lives. If you're wired like me, you know it's easy to get discouraged and to need some encouragement. I think that's why Paul, in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, really starts out and says, hey, the church... When the church gathers together, friends, do you understand this? I'm just, this isn't scripted. I just got to explain to you. Like, do you realize we're all in this together? This idea that the pastor gets up and preaches and somehow different or more connected to God. I have the same accessibility to God in Jesus that you do. Like, you need to know that. Like, we're all in this together. We follow Jesus. We're just, we're just going after him together. And Paul understood this, and he's reminding Timothy. He says, hey, before we get to any specifics about church life, you need to know this. And he starts out in chapter 2, verse 1, and he says this. First of all, like, of utmost importance, like, this is the most important thing. Before we get to anything else, I want you to hear this. First of all, then, I urge you, like, I'm pleading with you, Timothy, that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, you translate all people, it means all people. People you like and don't like. People you agree with and don't agree with. People you look like and don't look like. All people are to be prayed for. When the church gathers, we are to pray. There's nobody off limits when it comes to our prayers. When we gather together with our families and we're going to pray together, no one's off limits for us to pray for them. Nobody is undeserving of our prayers. We pray for everybody. And then Paul does something really cool, and he breaks down different types of prayers. He says, hey, the first kind supplications. Your, your translation might say petitions. So the first kind of prayer is a petition. What is this? Well, this is when you uh, make a specific request to God. I'm petitioning the Lord on, on my behalf. I, like, Lord, I, are you leading our family to make this decision? Or, or Lord, we really need uh, the right wisdom to come in our life to help us with our finances. Or, Lord... Um, you know, I, I really need uh, to understand marriage, and so I need some counsel here in my life, Lord. You're petitioning him for something specific in your life. Paul says, yeah, you, the church has to pray that way. Make, like God wants to hear your requests. So you petition him. The, the next is prayers. Uh, prayers are like, it's just conversation. Like, do you realize that God doesn't only want you to tell him what you want? He wants you to tell him how you feel. 
what's going on deep in your heart. He wants to hear uh, your emotions. He wants to hear about your, your day. He, he just loves spending time with you. Think about the book of Psalms. When David would write the Psalms, it's like, man, this guy isn't just asking God for things. He's just pouring out his heart. He's saying, God, you feel so close to me. The next page, God, where are you? God, you're close to me again. Or God, my heart is broken. Or God, I'm joyful. Or God, I'm praising you. And, and prayers are this regular, ongoing conversation that you have with God because he wants to talk to you. Next is intercessions. These are like really specific, bold urges, almost pleading with God for something specific on behalf of someone else. And so you'd say, we're interceding on behalf of so-and-so. I've been in many homes, and I've sat with many families, and I've, I've interceded on behalf of their children, or interceded on behalf of uh, the, the spouse, or a, a missionary who's overseas, and we, we want to intercede on their behalf, or a, a lot of things. Many of you have been a part of things where you sit together, and you specifically, Lord, we, there, there's something going on here, God, and we can't do anything but rely on you. Would you do what only you can do in this situation, God? We are interceding on behalf of so-and-so. And Paul says when the church gathers, the church needs to pray that way as well. And then last, he says thanksgivings. And the interesting thing about Paul, when you read through his prayers in the New Testament, he didn't ask ever for his circumstances to be relieved. He never said, like, Lord, I just, he just always prayed to be bold in the midst of the circumstances. And the interesting, about, the interesting thing about Paul in prayer is that he always talked about thanksgiving, being thankful when he taught about prayer. He always said, like, you have to start with gratitude, with being thankful for all that God has done and, and who God has been, for all that God is doing and, and who God is, and all that you believe he will do and who he is in your life. And so when you start with thanksgiving, here's what happens. And I, I think this is fascinating. It changes the petitions. It changes, right, the prayer time. It changes the whole tone of it. It changes it, and it changes, changes your interceding on behalf of other people because you're starting with a place of gratitude. So to be thankful, here's what he said to the church of Colossae, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. He said, continue steadfast. Steadfast meaning just push through. I I've said this to people sometimes. Uh, discipline precedes joy. There are times where prayer is going to be hard. You're not going to be feeling it. It's going to feel kind of routine or too regular. You discipline yourself through that to get to the joy of intimacy with God. So continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in prayer with, with what? With thanksgiving. Be thankful because it changes everything. The next Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he says this to the church at Philippi. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He always intersected thanksgiving and start with this place of being thankful for who God is and all that God has done. Uh, Tim Keller says it this way, a rich, vibrant, consoling, hard-won prayer life is one good that makes it possible to receive all other kinds of goods rightly and beneficially. So God wants to pour out his blessings on us. And one of the best ways that we receive them is to have a healthy prayer life because we've spent time with him. We see from his truth and his perspective and it allows us to receive these gifts. Paul does not see prayer as merely a way to get things from God, but as a way to get more of God himself. You see, for Paul, for us to start with gratitude actually creates a desire in us to be with him. You see how that works? When I'm grateful, even in the midst of my hardest moments, I desire to be with him because you want to be with people that are good to you. 
That's the way it works. Like when people are kind and generous to you, you, you're drawn to them. And so when you start with gratitude, being thankful in your prayer, like, Father, I thank you for, and, and spend some time thanking him for all the good he's done in your life. And then you move into the petitions. And then you move into the prayer time. And then you move into interceding on behalf of other people, but you start with gratitude. You just desire to be in his presence, and you see what he's doing in your life with more clarity. All four of these terms are plural in the original language, which means he wants us to be ongoing, continually praying this way. Not only that, he wants us to do this together. When the church gathers, well, we need to pray. You realize that. And yet, there are times, if you're like me, I'll be in a, a church service, and if it were to stop, like I'm about to stop in just a moment and pray, it feels weird. It's like, uh, he stopped talking. He's being quiet. Don't move. Stop. Stop. Telling the kids, right? But yet, Paul says, hey, when you're together, continually, just pray. Be people that pray that, man, you just want to be in his presence because he's so good. And then you intercede on behalf of other people. I don't know if you've been watching the news. A really big hurricane hit Texas. And out of sight, out of mind can take place in your heart and in mine. And, and yet we gather together as a church. What a better opportunity to gather than like right now to intercede on behalf of brothers and sisters and, and everything else that's going on down there. And so I'm going to ask you, I'm gonna, I'll pray out loud, and, and you just kind of pray, or slap the kids, I'm kidding, just pray, and, and we're going to intercede. We're going to start with gratitude and intercede on behalf of a lot of people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. You are good. You're a protector. You're the God of peace. And God, just the fact that you want to be around us. And you give us hope. You care about us and you love us. God, that truth, let it never grow weak on our minds. You're just so good. And Father, in the midst of this life, we experience pain. And I love what one person said, God, that even when life isn't good to us, we know you're still good. So right now, life is really hard down in Texas where this hurricane hit. And uh, Father, we, we're separated from that. We feel safe right now. But they don't. And we're going home to our homes, and they're not. And so, Father, we intercede on behalf of these people. And we ask you in a powerful way to do what only you can do, uh, to bring about restoration and healing and relief. Put the right people in the right place at the right time to recover from this devastation. Because we know you can. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we pray this way, it can get discouraging, right? It's not always easy. And so Paul continues on and he says, hey, specifically in your life, you need to pray for certain people so that certain things are accomplished. And if you pick up here in, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says, for kings, for all the people that are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it pleases and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people. Like, get this, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, this truth, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. You see, God desires everyone to be saved, and so he says, as believers, as followers of Jesus, who have vibrant, good prayer lives where we, we go to the Father, he says, you need to pray for kings and, and people in leadership positions. And, and here's the thing, even the ones that you don't agree with and the ones that you don't like. Let me give you a little context. When Paul wrote this, when he would have said kings and rulers and people in authorities, he would have been speaking of the Roman emperor. Or 
province and governors, province leaders and governors that would oversee all of the people on behalf of the Roman Empire, people that would oppress and, and push down on the Christians. They get this, Nero was brutal. Nero was a horrible leader. He was a tyrant. He would kill Christians. He would decapitate them, dip their heads in hot tar and light, use that on a, on a, on a giant pole to light his dinner parties. This man was disgusting and evil. He killed and brutalized Christians all the time. Not only that, he had all the people that were under him doing the same thing, brutalizing and persecuting, and in a rage of madness and just losing his mind, he burned Rome and blamed the Christians, sparking yet another part persecution. If ever there was a time when you're reading about who to pray for and who not to pray for, where God might have said, under that type of political rule, under that type of situation, you don't need to pray for them. You need to, you need to pray uh, like horrible things would happen to them. And maybe if you get an opportunity, you should kill them. But, but he doesn't say that. He says, pray for them. Even the ones you don't agree with and the ones you don't like, we pray. But he doesn't just say, just pray for them blindly. He says, no, you pray so that we may live a tranquil, quiet life and the gospel may advance. Here's the thing. We pray for leaders, political leaders, local leaders. We pray for our leadership overall so that there's stability in the land and the gospel might advance. We do not pray. We do not pray for leadership to create comfort for us. Paul never prayed for that. Paul said, as the church gathers, you pray for leadership, you pray for your country, so that there's stability in the land and the gospel can more easily advance to save the lost because God wants everyone, everyone, to hear the good news of Jesus. And so our prayers are for governments to create stability, and, and out of that stability, the gospel might be proclaimed. That's not always easy, is it? really hard and if you're like me you can get really discouraged and when I see certain people or certain Christians writing things and people that say man my hope is in Jesus but they're so consumed with the political state of our country and our world that it's almost as if all of their hope is placed in that and not in the God who says I'm way bigger than this friends this is not a, a call to disengage as a matter of fact I think Paul would tell us to engage in politics and what's going on but don't place your hope in it and Paul says the way that you protect your hope from being placed in these things is to have a good prayer life. Now, it's, it's easy for me to talk about uh, why we should pray first so the gospel might advance. And uh, it's easy for me to tell you how the power of prayer, but I think a better way for you to understand the impact that prayer can have on your family and on, on, in our world and in our church together, as honestly our leadership right now is really thinking we need to be more actively a praying church. One of the ways to illustrate that for you would be invite my friends, Jay and Amy Schultz, to join me on stage. And friends, you're going to be able to listen in on a conversation that we're going to have as they share their story of how God has moved powerfully in their lives and influenced uh, the way they see prayer and the way they pray together um, as a family. Would you welcome them, please? Jay and Amy, thank you for, for doing this, for sharing your story. Would you take a few moments and uh, just introduce yourself to the church, uh, where you're from, how you met, and, and how you got to, uh, to be here? Thank you. Um, appreciate the opportunity we have to share with you this morning and you know, get to talk about one of my favorite subjects, me. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. All three services, I'm doing it. I told him, hey, you've got to be here for the first service, too, and that's early. And he said, well, I need my beauty rest, so <laughs> I hope you got it. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I'm, I'm Jay Schultz, and this is my wife, Amy. And we met at uh, Butler University, where we both attended college. She's, she's from Michigan, but we've uh, adopted her here in Indiana. But we have uh, four children. Um, our oldest is Anna. She's over there. She's here today. She's 22, and she's married to Josiah, and they're seniors at Indiana Wesleyan. Uh, next is Jeremiah, who's 18, going to be a freshman Hand at up, Jeremiah. Calvin. You're going away, President. And Jacob, where's Jacob at? Oh, he's over here. Jacob's a junior. He's 16. And then our youngest is Fifi, who's 11, going on 16. <laughs> and uh, I, I grew up here at New Hope. Uh, there's a the picture of the first meeting they had. There's this cute little blonde-headed boy in the front row. Yep, that's me. Um, and so I've been here basically my whole life. In 2001, New Hope sent out a church plant called Harvest, and Amy and I felt led to go with that church plant. But a couple of years ago, we came back, and we're excited with New Hope's uh, vision with the disciples making disciples, and we're happy to be a part of that as well. So, um, so you guys met and kind of got established and uh, built a home, working, things are good, uh, kind of living the American dream, if you will. And, uh, and then God changed something. He pricked your heart for a certain place and a certain people. So would you share that part of your story with us, and how did prayer play an influential role in, uh, in your relationship with Haiti? Okay. So we've been involved with a lot of um, short-term mission trips, both locally, stateside, and internationally. Uh, and in the early 2000s, we met a Haitian pastor, uh, Esperand Pierre, and he shared with us a vision that God had given him about starting a mission called Nehemiah Vision Ministries. And Haiti's just a, a very poor um, country. And if you remember, Nehemiah rebuilt the walls in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah's said, arise and build. And that's what Nehemiah Vision Ministries um, verse is, arise and build. So we have been involved with them since the very beginning. A lot of prayer over starting this mission. We started it in 2005. 20 kids in school, and it's grown to a school of over 400 kids now with a hospital and um, children's home, different things. But prayer was a very big part of that. So um, Jay was going on all these mission trips, and I wasn't sure that I could go to Haiti and face kind of the pain and the poverty uh, that was that was confronted. And I saw, um, we saw the earthquake happen, and our friend Pastor Pierre was so overwhelmed with donors wanting to come in and help partner with him and build projects. And so he was living in the state of kind of being overwhelmed. Uh, but in the meantime, on one of the mission trips Jay took, he met uh, our daughter Fifi and fell in love with her. And um, that's what it took for me to come to Haiti. Uh, so in April of 2010, I traveled with Jay and we met I met Fifi for the first time, and then in July of 2010, Anna and I went down and to spend time with her. And in that July trip, I had some conversations with Pastor Pierre, who was who was just unburdening himself with all the responsibilities and and sharing that he needed help. And I laughingly and jokingly told him, "Oh, we'll just move down here and help you, Pastor." And I was completely kidding. And so I came home. <laughs> I came home and I told Jay about our conversation and we laughed about it. And then, and then we started to pray about it. 
And we are also at the same time doing a Bible study by Francis Chan called Crazy Love. And there was a quote in there that really struck with me. It says, something is wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. And just that phrase just really jumped out to me. And I thought, you know, are we really living out our faith? Are we really doing what um, you know, we, we say? So that was the starting point of our prayers about, you know, God either open this door or close this door. And within two, men, two months of time, we had raised all of our support. We rented our house. Uh, we were ready to go and, and move to Haiti, and that began our, our journey uh, to Haiti. So you guys get, you get there. You transition now. You're, you're working through the adoption process. Now you're transitioning the other kids to live in a whole new place um, and, uh, and trying to get ministry, like learn this ministry and learn how to lead within it. Um, what were the prayers like, Amy, for you that, that, during that first part of being Haiti? So we, we really loved our time in Haiti. It, it was challenging. There, we lived in a tent. I don't know if the picture was up there or not, but we lived in a tent, and it was hot, as Jay will say. Um, in January, you think it's going to be wonderful and warm and sunny, but it's just hot at, at some point. Um, and so we lived in the little pup tents inside there. There were our bedrooms, and that was our circus. <laughs> um, and it really, it really was, it was a circus. And so to be honest, my prayers during that time were short and desperate. Um, we were on call 24-7 with teams, and we'd get called, something always went wrong. So Jay would get called in the middle of the night to fix a generator in the rain. And it just was kind of like that. And so actually I looked back on my blog, and two weeks we were into Haiti, and I had been hit by some intestinal issues, and the kids were really being hit by homesickness. And so I put a call out to our intercessors. We had gathered a, a great team of intercessors before we went and that morning and just said, you know, we're struggling here. And by that afternoon, uh, we had an answer. We had somebody gifted us with a couple kittens. And for some reason, those kittens just meant the world to our kids and just brought a lot of joy to our family. And it was just amazing to see how quickly prayer was answered in that case. Um, I would say on a daily basis, my prayers were more like breathing because it was so hectic and so challenging. We got some prayer walks in once a week or so, but it was wonderful and chaotic and circus-like, and I had to pray throughout the day. And it's the only time I won't make a cat joke because it actually brought them joy. <laughs> <laughs> they are one of one. Uh, so, um, so you guys are there, think you're kind of getting acclimated, things are going okay, you've got a lot you're praying about, a lot you're working on, and then one day, like, everything changes. Uh, Jay, would you take a minute and walk us through the accident, what took place that day, uh, and how it's kind of impacted your prayer times uh, as well? Okay. So, we'd moved down in January of 2011, and so we'd been there about six months, uh, June 15th is the date, um, one, and one of our main prayers and our goals when we moved down there was to bring glory to God. And we thought, you know, we're leaving our comfortable home in America, we're moving to Haiti, this is how we're bringing glory to God. But God had other plans. Um, on June 15th, I was driving on a John Deere Gator and it slid on some gravel and hit the back of a backhoe. The whole part hit me right in the chest and broke or crushed several vertebrae and paralyzed me. When the accident happened, 
I just distinctly remember looking down my legs and I couldn't move and thinking I'm paralyzed. But what really had me concerned was I couldn't breathe. So my thought process was I'm paralyzed, middle of nowhere Haiti, can't breathe, I'm dying. So um, the Haitian pastor Esperani was there and he, he wanted to shake me and move me and I was like, you know, don't touch me. I knew enough about spinal cord injuries, you weren't supposed to move. So I sent him to go find the nurse and uh, Jeremiah was 12 at the time. He was riding with me and I said, go, go get your mom and let her know I'm hurt. And when she came over, I could just feel myself slipping towards unconsciousness. And when she came over, so my face was completely pale, my lips were turning blue and I could just, like I said, I was just getting really weak. And she came and I just looked at her and told her that I loved her, but I just, I don't think I'm gonna make it. I told her I was at peace. I knew that I was gonna die, I'd be in heaven. And just remember saying, I'll, I'll see you in heaven. And I took his face and I said, you are not gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> From your perspective, uh, you know, what, what took place in that moment? How did it affect your prayers? It, it was really, I think my favorite moment of my life, I mean, besides marrying you. Um, <laughs> but if you ever wonder if God is going to show up in a time of chaos or a hard place, like he so does, because I had this peace that I can't explain to you that passes all understanding. And I knew that even if he, like, even if you were going to die, that I was going to be okay. That's, that's the message that God spoke to me just in this little split second. And I immediately turned to Jim Warner who was a fellow missionary on the ground, and I asked him to start praying. And then we got Jay loaded into the Land Cruiser, and I asked Clarice, who was a Haitian friend of ours, to start praying, and he prayed audibly all the way to the hospital. And so from the very moment that we, this accident happened, we were covered with prayers from the body of Christ. We've learned, learned a lot. You know, like, so we, we prayed to bring glory to God, and, and his, his answer was, you know, yes, you're going to do that, but it's going to be by you spending the rest of your life in a wheelchair and being able to share how God has worked in our lives. And there's lots of, of prayer for, for healing, um, but, you know, God's answer was no. So sometimes God says no, sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says wait. So Amy had looked up some statistics. We did a caring bridge at the time we'd had 42,000 visits and she asked people to start saying where they were at where they were so we could track where people were praying for us there's 46 cities in Indiana 24 states and 11 countries that you know signed in that they were praying for us 
And one of the one of the hard things was when I got injured, uh, they took me to a hospital in Port-au-Prince, and they said, you know, we can't do anything for you. We got to get you out of here. So they put me on a little Learjet airplane, flew me to Miami, where they did surgery, put two steel rods in my back, 11 screws. And I was there about two weeks, and then they flew me back to Indianapolis for two months of re inpatient rehab, four months of outpatient rehab. But we, you know, we left our kids. We just, Amy and I flew in the little plane, and that was it. So um, Don and Jody, Lamb went down a couple weeks later, and they picked up the boys and brought them back. Um, Anna stayed with Fifi, but the hardest part of it all was we had to leave um, Fifi because of the adoption, it was another two and a half years before the adoption was finalized. So that was a, a hard battle. So my, um, my brother Jeff flew down, Don Lamb flew down, uh, my dad flew down, my best friend flew down, and I had my set of friends. And Amy, you had your set of friends that flew down to be with you. Uh, we just had so many people from you know, the Church of Harvest, New Hope, um, schools, just friends, that the next basically two and a half months when I was in the hospital or rehab, somebody was always with us outside of family. Somebody was always with us, praying for us, um, Don organized a concert of prayer. I think it was when I was in Miami, you know, we Skyped into it, but people gathered in this building to, to pray for us through that whole time. We've, we've been so blessed by prayer. During the whole, we were, we were back here and we were fighting the adoption battle and we had gotten to a point in the adoption where the United States changed the laws without really telling us or telling us how to fix it. And so we came to a point where we weren't sure if it was going to move forward. And our small group really supported us in this time. They decided to do a handoff fast, where one person would pray and fast for 24 hours and then call the next person on in the group and pray together and then hand the fast off. And they were going to maybe do it for a week or two, but they decided just to continue after that week or two. And they did it the whole rest of the time where we were waiting for Fifi to come home. And we broke that fast when Fifi came home with a celebration, a hog roast. And so talk about a long battle and sticking with an issue and, a, and something wrestling in prayer over something a long time. And so I feel like, um, you know, as we mentioned, God, God does answer our prayers. Like, so sometimes it's yes. When we prayed about going to Haiti. I mean, it was amazing how quickly the answer was yes and the doors opened. Uh, when we prayed... For Fifi to came home, come home, the answer was wait, and wait, and wait. And when praying for healing, as far as physical healing, the answer is no. But I always say, you know, God has healed me. I'm, I'm content. I'm happy to be where I am. And, you know, God answers all of our prayers. It may not always be exactly what we have in mind, but uh, those prayers are answered. And as far as being thankful, I mean, we've been the recipients of prayer for over six years and so much giving. So it's easy in those instances be, to be thankful. There are days when it gets hard at home, you know, when Jay can't do what he loves to do and it's hard to struggle to do his gardening or he gets another UTI or he can't get upstairs to spend time with the kids at bedtime. And, you know, those are the times where you get discouraged and it's hard. But God has been so gracious to me in prompting me to say, your husband's still alive. Like, I still have my husband. And I am literally surrounded by neighbors and friends and family who over and over and over continue to care for us. 
So, wow, you know, he, he's, he pricks my heart. And if I can discipline myself to stay thankful in those moments and to concentrate on that, then he gives me the peace and he brings ministry to my grief. And so I get, and then I get the joy. And so that's just been so powerful. The other thing that I've learned is that God is faithful uh, no matter how he answers your prayers, whether it's yes or no or wait. And along this journey, there were times when I couldn't pray, and I really needed my intercessors to pray for me, and that's happened. I've had friends continue to whisper in my ear, he's faithful, he's faithful. And so I'm not shy, really, anymore about asking for prayer. Um, in fact, we asked for it last night because we weren't feeling very well. So um, we're just thankful. Um, I'm convinced of the need to keep praying for people in the long battle now. And I'm definitely convinced of the spiritual warfare that surrounds us every day and hopefully more apt to engage in that battle. Please pray with me. Father God, we uh, thank you for prayer. That's our chance to talk to you. And we want to lift up praises to you. We want to confess to you. We want to give you our thanksgivings and also give you our supplication, our request. And we know that you are faithful to hear our prayers, to answer our prayers. I just ask that you would lay it on our hearts that we would pray as individuals, as couples, as families, and we bring all thanks to you, and uh, we know you'll be faithful to answer our prayers. We just lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next Sunday.